Next up tonight, there was an article today by the well-connected and always interesting David Pugliese in Post Media about the fact that uh, the military is having a real problem with recruitment and retention. I don't think that comes as a big surprise. Listen, lots of organizations across the country are struggling to recruit and retain employees. And of course, the military, unsurprisingly, is not an exception, but it could be worse than we thought. In a new briefing prepared for the Chief of Defense Staff, General Wayne Eyre, and other senior leaders, and again reported by David Pugliese, shows that the worst-case scenario for staffing uh, levels is now the most likely path ahead. So the worst case that they can think of is now the most likely scenario that they can point to. Not only is the military facing its highest attrition rate in 15 years of nearly 10%, up around 7% last year. Recruitment is in trouble. There simply aren't enough people signing up. Um, now, there are many reasons for that. It's it's a phenomenon just about everywhere. Uh, there's, of course, been some really bad press for the military of late in and around culture, including sexual harassment claims and so forth. And that obviously has hurt recruitment, uh, rightfully so to some extent. They know this. They're trying to fix it. They believe that, you know, they're in the process of trying to fix it. They also have a plan to try and uh, rebuild and draw more people in, retain more, recruit more, and so forth. Now, apparently that was supposed to take eight years to work its magic, but the briefing warned other senior leaders and Winair that's likely to take another three years beyond that. So not for another 11 years does the military think they're going to be back where they need to be as far as recruiting is concerned. And that's and that's a big deal when you think about just how much we rely on the military for so many different things now, whether it be responding to emergencies domestically, uh, such as in Atlantic Canada with Fiona. There's talk now of sending, potentially sending soldiers to Haiti to try to take care of what is a very dire situation there. But are we simply stretched too thin? We're training people in, in London, in, in the UK rather, for fight to fight in Ukraine. We're in, we're in the Balkans or the Baltics rather. Um, you know, we have people all over the place. Do we have the, do we have the personnel to do it? It appears we're in trouble. And of course, it affects not just quantity, but also quality. So of course, there's a shortage in mental health, military health related jobs. Uh, There's a shortage of health related job or professionals everywhere right now. Aviation technicians, air operations rules, they're in trouble. Army telecom, cyber operations positions, of course, they're in in high demand. So you can imagine they have many uh, options that aren't necessarily just the military. Uh, How do you fix it? They've been looking at a few things around improved advertising for recruitment. I'm not sure those really work, Um, but there are many, many options on the table. Joining me now is Richard Shamuka. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're seeing something. I mean, this is a bit of a a cry for help, I would expect, but uh, we're seeing some serious issues, and I don't think it comes as a big surprise. There are serious issues with recruitment right across the spectrum these days. One can't imagine the military would be any different, but how would you qualify what's going on there's no other word for this except crisis uh and i think the comments of the chief of defense staff wayne air really kind of emphasized that the canadian forces have had periods of basically under retention and and sort of similar lack of lack of personnel uh specifically in the late 1990s this one seems to be far more acute and uh far more problematic for its ability to sort of generate the forces it's required to undertake its both its domestic and international commitments. And and I think everywhere you look uh, across the armed forces, uh, the effects of this manning crisis is is really significant. And and for 
the chief defense has to go and make this comment should be pretty telling to the public of how bad it is. Yeah, and I guess we're seeing it, seeing it at both ends, right? They're having trouble recruiting and they're having trouble retaining as well. Absolutely. And I think there's there's some linkages on both sides of that problem. Uh, I think that some of the issues that we see with the sexual harassment issues that have kind of emerged, the efforts to sort of reform the Canadian Forces culture have have sort of really caused issues on both sides, as you say. So so there's that. COVID is also, we it's it's apparent in almost every workplace uh, that we see. You know, we talk about the great resignation. And I, I see that within the Canadian Forces as well. But Underlying that is some some pretty significant problems with with the Canadian Forces, again, with the cultural stuff, but also with the lack of support and capability that, that they've gotten for getting the right equipment that they need to do their jobs and, and being overdeployed to places like Eastern Europe, like uh, when we had an operations, when we had major operations in Iraq for the Navy, overdeployment for their ships, recruitment as well. I mean, everywhere we look, there's there's serious issues. So this is something that's a bit of a hangover issue, too, that the people who are already there, and I know, I mean, I'm in Victoria, there's a naval base here, obviously, uh, where, yeah, I mean, people were leaving because they were actually, they were already recruitment issues. So they were already being overstretched and having to do longer periods of uh, of duty than they would expect. So I gather this has sort of been a a, uh, a problem of a, of a, it's been a snowballing issue now for a while. Yeah, another term for this is called the death spiral, and it's really problematic for some of the specialist trades. So in the Canadian Armed Forces, you have certain trades and and specialist capabilities where people require additional training, and they're they're kind of niche capabilities, for lack of a better, let's say, radar technicians for ships or, or sonar technicians. And what's basically happened, because we have under-recruitment, and you also have over-deployment, the same individuals are required to do the jobs over and over and over again. And so they're deployed to extents that just aren't really sustainable uh, for them. Uh, it, it really wears in their lives. Their personal lives really take uh, a hard hit because they're away from their families. They have to go on training and do additional work. And, and they, they aren't replaced at, at certain, they aren't available to, to actually train replacements or those replacements aren't coming online because of the lack of recruitment as well. So what happens is, is as those people are deployed more and more, they start leaving and you have fewer and fewer people to replace them. And it gets worse and worse for the, for the people that are remaining. And especially for some of the uh, capabilities that are more technology intensive, aircraft maintainers is, is one of the key areas. So say the radar technicians, the communications cyber warfare uh, personnel, those ones are seeing some of the worst retention rates because those people have been over overtasked for for basically the past decade, and now they're they're just leaving. Especially again in this kind of COVID and post COVID era, they're like, "Well, I'm done. I don't have the the morale necessary to kind of continue on working on this, you know, at great expense to my personal well being." They have options too, right? Of course. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and that's the other side. I mean, historically in the past, excuse me, a lot of the Canadian Forces recruitment and retention struggles worked with the economy, where you had you know the oil patch was booming, and so you had a lot of aircraft technicians kind of leave because they could take those transferable skills. Um, it, prior to COVID, uh, the airlines were in a huge uh, hiring um, spree, and it took a lot of the pilots out of the system. It seems like the sort of workplace, especially just the public workplaces, there's there's options open everywhere, right? And, and so that's a big pull on the Canadian forces for those specialist capabilities. Because a lot of people have excellent transferable skills that can, you know, help support 
the economy as it's trying to grow or there's these positions because a lot of positions aren't being fulfilled by uh, in the workplace uh, in the public workplace and and then there's the issue of of just compensation within the military itself because that's always that's been a long-standing complaint that in fact they're underpaid or at least underpaid compared to what they could make specifically with the people you've been talking about underpaid compared to what they could make in the private sector it's not as bad as it was in the early 1990s or sorry the late 1990s where right. you had Canadian forces members going to the food bank and in some really horrible circumstances it's gotten better but it's you're right it is still under the average let's say for for the Canadian uh, workplace a lot of the Canadian forces members have kind of persevere through saying, well, this is for the country. Like a lot of people, members of Canadian forces realize they're not probably going to make as much as they could in the public, in the private sector, but they, they persist because they think this is important. However, the, and that goes back to my previous comments that where you have a situation where they aren't given the correct equipment, they're actually using equipment that is obsolete and has been that is rusting out literally for some of the ships, it really dents their their sort of morale and their, their will to sort of stay and, and sort of persevere through this situation. And, and I would say that some of the decisions by this government, specifically in the past seven years, have really emphasized that to them is that they don't feel like they are getting the necessary support. And, and they see the international system and how in, unstable it's been with Ukraine and, mm-hmm. and sort of some of the, some of the actions of China has taken over Hong Kong and Taiwan. They think this is vitally necessary and I need to do this. But if I'm not given the, the tools and I'm not being respected for the roles that I'm playing, that's where that disconnect happens. And that's where, where it says, well, I don't want to do this anymore because why am I even here trying to do this? We saw, we've seen talk from the defense minister about changing the culture, about improving recruitment, but that takes time. And it sounds like they're sounding the alarm again to try to get more advertising budget. But does it actually work? Tough to say. Uh, there's so many factors that are involved at any one time. If we look at the 19, late 1990s, we had a similar sort of situation, although there were the causes for it were significantly different. Part of it was we we're trying to draw down after the end of the Cold War. And at that time, what really sort of put an end to the crisis was actually the war in Afghanistan, where Mm -hmm. as a result, you had a lot of people sort of want to come in and serve because they saw this as an important response after uh, 9-11 and whatnot. Getting away from those kind of, you know, black swan events, as as they're called, the ones Mm -hmm. that we can't really anticipate, there's, there's multiple issues at play that sort of are affecting both recruitment and retention. And the biggest issue that Wayne, uh, the chief defense staff, laid uh, put forward is to say that we, we are overtasked. Given how many requirements we have, both internationally and domestically, we just cannot sustain this level of troops. And one of the first steps was to say, unless it's unless it's essential, we're not going to do it. So that's that's a lot of ceremonial duties are being cut and whatnot. I think it's really curious right now where the government is considering a mission to Haiti basically two weeks after the chief of defense staff says we can't do any more. That's the kind of thing that I think really causes issue or the friction where, where you just, you know, we cannot deploy, we cannot uh, add additional work. When we're talking about the Navy, we only have a certain amount of warships available, right? If we keep overtasking them and we're not judicious with the use of these actually starting to get really worn down warships, we're going to be unable to actually deploy anywhere in the future. So really husbanding the amount of forces that the Canadian forces puts out 
on an operational basis on any one day is, is a pretty key uh, issue that they have to watch for because that 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 can that can do a lot for the recruitment. That that again the specialist capabilities that those individuals if they're overtasked they're not going to be around to train right. It, it interrupts training regimes. It interrupts every part of their sort of operation. So that's a that's one of the key parts. And I think the chief was trying to lay out publicly like please do not send that anymore. You're going to consider like increasing the Latvian brigade or, you know, increasing our training mission to you. Be aware that that's going to, you're going to pay the price later on. So that's one. Going back to recruitment, working culture, I think part of the issue, and you you're talking with a lot of people at the forces who are retiring or they're leaving, is that I think some of the cultural programs just aren't hitting the mark. They're, they're very much designed for the public service in general. Whereas the Canadian forces is a very unique culture. I, it has to be because you're sending soldiers, uh, airmen, sailors into harm's way. They have to have a very strong esprit de corps. That's not to say that sexual uh, harassment or other pernicious acts are, are should be disregarded. No, absolutely not. They need to be fixed. And I think that is also a problem. But you have to do it in a way to fix those issues, but without alienating people in the forces, because that is happening as well. You see a lot of in the exit interviews, a lot of discussion with people there. They're, they're just, they don't feel that it's really addressing the issue. And it instead is just adding more sort of burden yeah. to them and also negative uh, negative uh, stimuli to what they're uh, to their day-to-day operations it, it becomes an hr exercise right absolutely uh, and that's and you see that it's just one more thing i've got to deal with my plate when you know the ships or you know whatever platform i'm working on is is already dilapidated and i'm sure and i'm undermanned and, and now i've got to fill an hr as you say an hr size or stuff so I, there has to be more care in how this is implemented because certainly it's rubbed a lot of people who honestly probably are not, you know, there's, there, there are people trying to do their jobs, but it's, it's really not, it's not a, it's not actually addressing the problem, but just adding more burden. Yeah. But I guess when we look at what we rely on them, and this is part of the problem is we need to define what we want our military to do. You know, do we send them to, to the Maritimes to help out when there's, when there's a hurricane, that sounds reasonable. Do we send them to natural disasters? Do we also deploy them overseas? I mean, there's a lot of, we ask a lot of our military these days without necessarily having a clear idea of what it is they're supposed to do or what, what the priority is, but clearly we just need more, they need more people. So what do you think would be, if they had to, the first few things they should possibly do, what could it be? Is it to increase the advertising budget? Is it to reduce, as we saw uh, the chief of defense staff talk about, or at least in general, reduce some of that training time so you think you can get more people into the into their positions faster? Hey, those are possibles. I, I think if you look at a lot of the plans that have been outlined, it's all try everything you can at once. Right. Uh, right. I think budget's a big issue. This government has promise that there's going to be a ramp up in defense spending. This goes back to strong, secure, and engage the defense wall, uh, policy white paper that was promulgated in 2017. And this is starting the years where you start to see a significant increase in their budget. Now, at the same time, you see Minister Freeland talk about austerity measures. So, is, And every government wants the first place they go in the past 50 years has gone to the defense budget. But it's at a stage right now that uh, there can be no more cuts. Like this, this is the organization that has been strapped onto the bone. And, and if you cut at this stage, you're going to watch basically a collapse of entire capabilities. And then you see that in some of the some of the stuff that was released today about about that is that you're at critical manning levels and beyond that means that you're just not able to do anything right uh if you're talking about 
like the Air Force. The Air Force is going to have to go through a transition once they sign a contract to acquire the F-35. They're going to go down to basically 37 CF-18s for five years. Richard Schwilke, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much.